I usually like write down a bunch of facts about someone and then write down some talking points and then maybe like depending on who it is, like five or six pointed questions. And I'm like, you want to ask this question. Some people I don't write any questions down. I just have the talking points. Like I want to make sure we hit this. I want to make sure we hit this. It just totally depends on who they are. And like, you know, like a coach, for instance, I'm going to be way more specific with questions written down ahead of time. If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. We talk about a lot of things on this podcast, like what it's like to interview world famous runners, why Lindsay felt like she needed to start this podcast, and why she doesn't feel compelled right now to train for another marathon PR. All right, we're going to get to our interview with Lindsay after this short message from our sponsor, RunnerClick. If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles, so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. Runner Quick presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines. Okay, we are here with Lindsay Hine. I am so happy to be talking to you after like being your not-so-secret admirer for the past several <laughs> years. But I have to ask you, did you watch Boston yesterday? I'm assuming you did. Yes, and I was just saying I almost got divorced over this because my <laughs> husband – I got home from dropping my kids off at school and I was like, hey, can you get Boston for me on the TV? Because he always sets all that stuff up. You know, I didn't even know. I didn't know even know where it was streaming. And he's like, that's today. What? And I'm like, I don't know that our marriage can survive this because, you know, once upon a time, he's run Boston twice and we were Uber running dorks together. But now he still runs all the time, but he's very far removed from like running culture. And so anyway. Yes, I did not get divorced, almost did, and I did watch Boston. <laughs> so he was able to pull it up for you because I know some people had a tough time finding where to stream it. I think we watched, he got it up on Peacock. I, I think he like paid for a subscription or something and then we'll just cancel it. <laughs> yeah, that's the smart thing. I think that's what a lot of people did, like signed up for YouTube TV or whatever. So what do you think about it? This is going to be airing in a couple weeks. So it's going to be removed from the Boston just vibes. But yeah, what, did it go how you think it would go? You never know. In a marathon, so much can happen. I mean, I think the Boston vibes will ride for like a couple more months. So we're safe there. It was so fun. We just got back from Sanibel. We went on a spring break with our family and we got back Saturday. And so it was fun to have Boston to look forward to, like get all my kids to school. It was a rainy day, which is perfect for sitting on the couch and watching Boston. I kind of wished I would have got my run in like right at 9.15 once I got my kids to school and like tuned in just a little bit late. Because then once the race gets going, you get like halfway through, you're like, well, I can't I can't leave this experience now. <laughs> like you need to go at the beginning when nothing's really happened yet. But I sat down and told myself I was going to update some training plans for athletes that I coach and just knock that part of my work day out, which I usually do on Mondays and watch the race. But I literally just worked like a slug. Like I could not 
move any faster because I was so focused on the race. It was so fun to see CJ Albertson like going all out, like at the front of the pack for the first however many miles again. It's just like, I'm always so curious. What is he going to do? Is he going to be able to hang in there? And then Scott, Scott Fobble comes out of nowhere, which I, you know, one of the things about watching races from home, it's like you can't see, you know, we didn't see, we didn't know that Scott Fobble was like picking people off, right? So that's always exciting. And then the women's race, always super excited to see what Edna Kiplagat's going to do. She's incredible. She's amazing and an inspiration to moms. She's got five kids and she's 42. Oh, I didn't realize she was 42. Yeah. Oh, and she wow. got fourth, which she's been on the podium in Boston before, but then obviously always excited to see what the American women are going to do. And it was a bummer to see Molly Seidel have to drop. But I think of the American women, you know, Nell getting top American again was exciting. I was really excited to see what Steph Bruce did, though, to see that her come in as the second American woman in this like last year of racing for her. That was so cool. And then, of course, it's like, the come down when the race is over. I had one athlete that I coached running. So after the pros were done, I was still aggressively tracking her. I like got on my treadmill to do my little five mile run and was like updating the app. She's like 89%, 92%, 94%. Like, I just want to see how she finished. And she PR'd by eight minutes. So it was really exciting. Oh, she did. Oh, yeah, that's, big that's amazing. Especially on Boston's course. It's not, not an easy course. She ran New York to qualify in the fall. So it's like she also qualified on a really hard course. So I think that was on her side. And then she's just had this really strong progression. So it was a really fun day. It was such a fun day. And it, I, it's just, I don't know. I'm very like in awe of the athletes who can run it. And it doesn't, even if it doesn't go the way that they want to, to just come away from the experience and be like, it was magical, learned a lot of lessons. But all in all, it was a great day, even if it didn't turn out the way that I wanted. Yeah. I mean, every marathon, like there's always something to learn. Yeah. I mean, I think part of what keeps us going is that it's almost impossible to have a perfect marathon. There's just too many variables. Like you can have the best training block you've ever had. And then something you're, the weather is off or something happens with your nutrition and you start cramping and you have to hit the port of John. I mean, there's just so much that can happen. It's heartbreaking. It's beautiful and heartbreaking. Totally. So have you ever interviewed Molly? I did. I interviewed Molly and her coach, John Green, after the trials. Yeah. So you've talked to like pretty much every big time runner there is. I mean... I have been trying to interview Allison Felix since 2016, and I'm yet to make that happen. And she just <laughs> keeps getting more and more famous. So I think it's going to get harder and harder. But I've interviewed a lot of pros in the distance world. That's one that I'm like, once I get it, if I can ever get an Allison Felix interview, that will be like, you know, that's my been my dream from the start of my show. So I've I have been able to interview some people that I've dreamt about interviewing, but there are still some people out there that I am hard after. So what is it with Allison? Is she just not receiving your messages? I think she's probably just so big that she probably gets so many requests and I focus on distance running and so it's probably just not something she's they're paying attention to. I don't think it's anything personal, but and that happens a lot. I mean 
there's plenty of people I've reached out to that just don't respond or, you know, I've gone through every angle, like messaged her agent on LinkedIn, millions of Instagram messages, which people that have all those followers, they probably don't see them because they go into the message right. folder. Even I miss those sometimes. And then like emailed her new shoe company PR. Like I've, <laughs> I have, I mean, probably like 10 emails a year for the last, since 2016. Who knows if they're getting to anybody actually seeing them, but I'm going to keep on trying. <laughs> I love your perseverance. <laughs> so I got to ask, how are you not nervous when approaching these elites? Like, did were you when you started? How do you, and how did you get past it? And if you are, you fake it really well because you don't at all seem nervous when you talk to these big time stars. I mean, I'm not nervous anymore when I interview big time stars. I mean, they're in the running world. There are a few people where I'm like, okay, I want to be like uber prepared for this. And also just like trying to figure out their personalities before the interview is super helpful because if I feel like someone is a little more dry or quiet, like I need to be more, I need to be more verbose and have more to say. But I was definitely more nervous, you know, years ago, like in the first, when I first, like the first time I interviewed Shalane Flanagan, it was like 30 some episodes in. it was still pretty early. And I was like, and I only got that interview because her cookbook was coming out. So it was like with her and Elise and Elise is wonderful. But yeah, like those interviews at the beginning were, were really nerve wracking. And still to this day, like I've interviewed Shalane a few times, but even like someone like that, if I'm interviewing them again, like I just want to make sure I'm so well prepared that I'm doing a service to my listeners so that they have an enjoyable conversation to listen to. And Shalane, someone like Shalane is going to provide that, but I want to be able to direct the conversation in a way that people will find the topics enjoyable. So how... I don't want to turn this into like a <laughs> podcasting 101 podcast. As I get my feet wet though, I am obviously always hungry to learn. So how do you like a learn sort of what their personality is like, I'm guessing from listening to other interviews and then what sort of research do you do to make sure that you're asking those questions that people haven't already asked before? I know. Cause that can be tough too, because sometimes you're interviewing someone who's like got a book out or something, or they just did a big performance and you know, they're going to be on like 10 podcasts and you're like, how can this be like different. Like I want it to be. So I always just try to make sure I stay in like my interest lane, you know, like I feel like there are certain things I'm always super interested in that other running podcasts don't really care a lot about. Like I, I do tend to talk about family a lot more. Sometimes I even sway towards spirituality and things like that just because I'm like, it's kind of what I'm self-interested in as well. But when I prep for an interview, yes, like if someone's been on like 12 podcasts, I'll listen to them on maybe one or two to see if they're like chatty and, you know, if there's anything good that I wouldn't know from elsewhere about them. But I always just like, I usually like write down a bunch of facts about someone and then write down some talking points. And then maybe like, depending on who it is, like five or six pointed questions. And I'm like, you want to ask this question. Some people I don't write any questions down. I just have the talking points. Like, I want to make sure we hit this. I want to make sure we hit this. It just totally depends on who they are. And like, you know, like a coach, for instance, I'm going to be way more specific with questions written down ahead of time. But like a mom of three who just ran sub three in a marathon or something that is like so relatable to my own life that I can just like casually 
chat, you know? Oh, I totally know. I'm very so I I host this for Runner Click, but I have to be very careful because I have talked to like a lot of moms and I just want to kind of dive into like that mother other angle obviously because that is my passion. And I I love how you do that, how you humanize these like I don't know, superhuman people and ask them questions where you can get like a good inside look of what their daily life is like and how they balance everything. I think that's what I'm always so curious about is like, how do people manage it all? Because life is tiring, especially as a parent. (laughs) It's tiring and we're time poor. So how do they make it work? I think they have help. (laughs) Yeah. If they seem to be doing a lot, they have lots of babysitters and they have someone cleaning their house. And I mean, you can, you literally can just only do so much. And that's just the honest to God truth. Yes. Yes. And the people that you've talked to are very honest about that, about having help and where they've been able to like look for avenues to get extra help and make up more time and So I love that you're able to reveal that to your listeners. Yeah, I think Sarah Vaughn's a really good example of that because, you know, she's a full-time realtor. She has four kids. She's obviously running sponsored by Puma now and like hitting the marathon hard. She was already a super high mileage runner even when she was like doing the 15 and very competitive then. But she's very open and always very open and honest about like outsourcing anything she can outsource to make sure she can do all the things that she's passionate about and she loves while also, you know, being available for her kids. So I think when people are honest about the help they have, it makes the rest of us feel like, okay, so maybe I'm not doing X, Y, and Z, but I don't have help here. And it's really easy to like compare your life to someone else's and think, well, if she can do all those things, why can't I? It's like nobody's life is the exact same. So it, it just is never going to look equal. And you can't play the card like must be nice because we've just all been dealt different hands and we all have different experiences. So I think just kind of like trying to focus in on like the gratitude of what you have available in your own life is so important. I love that. I love that. And giving yourself grace. Like, you know, you may be in a season where your kids aren't sleeping very much. And so you're not able to run as much as you would like, or, you know, it just work is very demanding or whatever it is. And just, yeah, knowing that it's not apples to apples ever, ever. And the whole, like the whole must be nice comment is so infuriating. (laughs) I know, but like, Even sometimes I catch myself if like someone's just got it laid out all perfectly. I'm like, oh, you know, so I have to like even bite my own tongue sometimes because I think everybody kind of like falls into the trap a little bit because there's always going to be someone who has something a little bit easier than you. Right. Yes. Yes. That's a very good point. Okay. So I want to back it up to, okay, first, can you tell us a little bit about your running background? And then I want to get into how this podcast idea came about. So um, did you always run? Did you grow up running? Yeah, I started running in high school. My best friend, we were in gospel choir together. I don't know why I was in (laughs) gospel choir. I don't know why I was in choir at all because I cannot sing, but it was really fun. Gospel choir was really fun. I was kind of like a little meek, like fly on the wall, really. But she convinced me to join the track team. And I did that. And then my the coach track team was like, sorry, but you you are now joining the cross country team as well. (laughs) So I had a great high school experience. I mean, probably one of my favorite parts of high school was the cross country team and the relationships I have with the team and, and all that. And then in college, I just ran to stay in shape and, you know, like you do 
partied a lot and met my husband and all the things, but like kept working out a consistent part of my life. And then um, in 20, 2008, my husband and I got married and ran our first marathon together. And the rest is really history. We just, I've probably run, I think I've run 17 marathons. I need to oh, wow. do a count. Yeah. I th- We did a bunch before we had kids. And then it was kind of like one a year-ish after that. So yeah, it's I ran my marathon PR after my third baby. And I think I want to do it again, but I have not been motivated to post fourth baby. Even though we're about to hit four years, you know, he's going to be four this summer. So it's crazy. But I do think I will chase a PR again one day. But yeah, just kind of, it's just kind of been part of our life. Like, that's just what we do. My husband and I, we run most days of the week and our kids know that mom and dad are going to go for a run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's kind of been the barrier as far as going again for number 18 or whatever number it is? Is it is it just the fact that you're so tired because you have four kids? <laughs> I mean, no, because I, I don't even think I'm, I don't think I'm tired. I think it's like, I just know the work that it'll take and I have a little bit of commitment phobia in general. Like, ask me to go to dinner with you in two weeks. And I'm like, ask me to go with you in two hours. And I'm like, yes, let's do it. You know? So I'm very much like long-term commitments make me nervous. So yeah, it's that just like going all... I know that to PR, I, I would have to really go all in. And that makes me kind of anxious. And I think before it was like, get a PR between babies, have another baby. And so the pressure wasn't really there because also it was like, well, I'm just one year postpartum. Like how fast can I really run? So it was almost like an out. And now I feel like I have no outs. Like my youngest child is almost four and I can run a marathon and then build on that and like do the whole thing. This is what I've always said. I haven't given myself the opportunity to build on cycle upon cycle to get faster and faster. I've just like ran a marathon pretty good, had a baby, had to come back postpartum again, do it again. You know what I mean? So I think knowing that there's like this sky's the limit now kind of scares me. And like, do I want to do it? Do I really want to go all in? I'm wondering where this like pressure is coming from. I don't know. I mean, because so my PR is 311. It's like if I'm going to run hard to train for a marathon, like I don't really want to go run a 315. Like if I'm going to run that fast, I'd like to run a 310 at least, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think I can like half-ass getting myself to a 315. Okay. But then like breaking that next barrier is, I just know it just will take more work. And I'm like, do I want to commit to that? (laughs) Like, do I really want to go all in with that? Yeah. I don't know. I get it. So yeah, I mean, I don't know though. I I think I'll do it eventually. I'm 38 and you know, seeing my friend Jess Hofheimer just ran a PR at 45. She ran a 309. Oh, great. And so, I do think you mentioned being tired, and I said I'm not tired and I don't think I am like generally like tired day to day, but my husband did bring a, up a good point the other day. He was like, "When our youngest is in school all day, Like, that's just going to be such a game changer. Like, our little boys go to school just nine to one. You know, that's just like not a lot of time to do the working out, do the work, do the house, do all the things. Well, the four hours a day isn't a lot. So, I do think that 
I will have more freedom than I realize. I like to think I have a lot of freedom now. And I don't know if I'm just telling myself that story. But yeah, I do think I'll be a lot more freed up here in a couple years. Yeah, I think it will be a game changer. My youngest is about to start kindergarten this August. And like I've been on a setback cycle for the past couple years. And I have kind of those hesitations as you do as far as like, do I have the time and energy to do what it takes to achieve my goal? But then I remind myself, yeah, he's going to be in school. So I will be able to, I can wake up early and run really far, but then I can recover once he goes to school and I won't have to be dragging or deal with the mom guilt that, oh, I'm so tired and I don't have enough energy for my family. And I just want to give my kids iPads so I can lay down for 30 minutes, you know? So I think that will be a big difference for you and you're a couple years away. Yeah. Our youngest, he's three. So he's got two more years of preschool. So are you sad sending your youngest to kindergarten? Yeah. You know, we're always, it's always a mixture of emotions. I think I'll be sadder when it gets close, but I don't know. I think when, when we get there and I'm actually in it, living it and not having him in the house with me, I'll feel the void, you know, but like, you know, it's like some days you're like, I'm ready. He's ready. Let's do this. And then on on other days you're like, oh my gosh, how is time going by so fast? I just want to freeze it. So yeah. Do you think you'll be sad? I'm not. Our third is going. So I think that, yeah, when it's my last, I'll be a mess in a weird way. But I know the middle two don't feel as, I feel like the bookends are the hardest probably. Yeah. That makes sense. Like sending the first and sending the last. It's just like, you know, it's the last time. And that's just, I mean, that's just with parenting. It's like, it's the natural progression of how things are supposed to be, but it's still hard. I was just thinking about this morning, my nine-year-old, I was trying to get him to come snuggle on me and he just didn't want to. And I was like, okay, Lindsay, you just have to like, accept that this is the natural progression of what he's supposed to do in life. And like, he's just getting to the age where like, you don't, And that's normal for him. And like, I have to embrace that and find other ways for me selfishly to feel (laughs) nurtured by my own child. (laughs) No, totally. I totally get it. I totally get it. Like my son right now will say, he's told us that he's not going to college. He's going to live at home. He'll always like fall asleep with me, snuggling me. And I'm like, it's just not going to be that way. And of course they're in denial about it, but like already I can see like the little minute changes of him just kind of growing more independent away from me. And it's funny because it's like, sometimes you, you wish they were more independent so that you would have more time to yourself. But then on the other hand, you're like, Oh, but how is this going away? I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's very weird. Totally. So, so weird. All right. So I want to know where this idea for your now it's one of the most popular running podcasts came about. Like, what were you doing? Were you in a career? How did you make the shift? I would love to know like the genesis of your podcast. So I was staying home with my two kids and I was kind of doing some part-time work for a local race. So I would like help with volunteer coordination and help with social media and things like that. So that was like all I did at home. And then I wrote my own little running blog. And do you remember the Daily Mile? Like, okay, like I'm so old school. Like, I mean, I was in all this before like Instagram was even a thing, like the running culture as far as like, I feel like I'm like a 
like when Twitter came out and like there was this like small running community on Twitter. So I was like very much a part of like all those, you know, those people. And I had a small running blog. It wasn't one of those big ginormous ones. But I started listening to podcasts myself and just was like, I want to listen to a good running podcast and I couldn't find one. And I also knew I wanted to incorporate like family life into it and stuff just naturally because I was home with my kids and I talked, you know, it was just part of our life. So I actually was pregnant with my third when I launched it. And like now I feel like launching a podcast is like not a big deal. Like just set up all your stuff. But then I was like, I was like watching all these YouTube tutorials. Like I was like, I don't even know how you would like capture the audio. Like I was so confused. <laughs> and now play, you know, like anchor, like there's so many ways to easily do it now, but it was like so confusing to me back then. Cause I'm not a technology person, but I really just had no idea what I was doing. I just knew I was going to interview people that I knew who ran and talk about life stuff too. Like I just wanted to talk about everyday life stuff as well. And then I got in my head, I'd start asking pros to come on. And this was really before like a lot of pros were doing podcasts and stuff. It just wasn't big yet. I mean, there were some out there, but it wasn't like a big thing. Now it's like there's a million podcasts and pros go on everybody's podcast. But yeah, so I think it was Sarah Hall was my first pro I ever interviewed. She was episode seven of my podcast. That's a great one. Wow. Episode seven early on. Yeah. I remember being shocked. I'm like, Sarah Hall responded to me. <laughs> and uh, I remember her interview too. Her internet was bad. And so we had to reschedule. And I was like, I was, I was like, we literally just can't record this. She kept cutting in and out. And I was like, oh no, what if she like can't do it? Like I had my, you know, and, and I was all prepared and my nerves were all worked up. So I was like, ah, because we had to do it later. But, you know, since I've probably interviewed Sarah, I don't know, probably five times. She's amazing. She is. And in person, I got to interview her at the New York City Marathon, which was really cool a couple years ago, but like did like a mother runner panel. But yeah, so then I just, once Sarah, that's the cool thing. I think once someone gives you a yes, you like give yourself permission to try again and go deeper. And I shouldn't have needed Sarah's yes to do that. But Sarah's yes did kind of give me a nudge to ask more pros because at that time it's like Sarah Hall was and still is one of the most famous American distance runners in our country. And so it's like, well, if Sarah's going to say yes, like who else might say yes? And so then it was like Emily Enfeld and she had just made her first Olympic team. And, you know, those memories looking back are so fun to think of. And so now pitching is a little bit different because it's been established for a while now. But yeah, I think thank you, Sarah Hall, for your yes. <laughs> you can thank her for all your success. No, I'm just yep. kidding. She's, she's one of the reasons. She's one of the first <laughs> She's one of the first big steps I climbed. There you go. She's one of the first people to believe in you. That's right. And what you're doing. She had no idea who I was. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to ask, who was the very first person you interviewed on your podcast? Laura Anderson. Do you know who Laura is? I don't. Her Instagram and Twitter, it's Losing Grace, Losing Grace, something like that. But she, from the original community of Twitter, like I've known Laura forever. And this was obviously back in 2016 was when I launched my podcast. And she had just broken three hours in the marathon for the first time. Oh, wow. 
Yes. And that was a big deal because like for a while, Laura and I were like same pace. Like there was a bunch of us that were all kind of running like 315, 320. And she kind of made this goal and and broke three hours and kind of just got after it. And she's done it a couple of times since, but she's had a couple of babies since then as well. But that was a real easy ask because it was like one of my friends and she had just done something really cool. The second interview was my sister's. Like that's how like much I was like, I don't even know. You know, like I had my sisters. And then I had actually Tina Muir. She was one of the other one, first ones. Yeah. I don't know how I, if I knew Tina yet then or not. I mean, I know Tina super well now. I had Sarah Bowen Shea from another mother runner. I'm trying to think of who else. Those are some of the early ones. You started out strong. Yeah. I was like, I knew I wanted to like get some you know, Weller, Weller known, is that a name, word, Weller? <laughs> Some well-known names in the running community, but a lot of friends, like just a lot of friends that I had collected, collected. <laughs> that sounds funny. I'm a friend collector. <laughs> it's a good person to be. I am kind of an obsessed friend collector though. That's actually a fact. I like everyone I meet, I'm like, are we destined to be friends? <laughs> but yeah, just like a lot of my friends, like Ashley Fizzerati, Michelle Gonzalez, Mary Johnson, like just the running community that I had met on on social media that I had become friends with in real life from meeting them at like races and stuff like that. That's cool. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I just asked a friend of mine to be on the podcast. She finished 38th in Boston yesterday. Oh, cool. Yeah. And she's actually like the person, she's a neighbor and she's the person that kind of pushed me to become more competitive with running and be with her coach and everything. And she's just got a great story and she's a mom of three. So I just wanted to, I thought it would be fun to have her on, but I, ha- I hadn't asked her up to this point. Cause I, I don't know. I was just like, I don't know. Should I ask friends? Is that okay? But obviously, yeah, I don't know. I think it can be kind of weird. It just depends though. I mean, if they like talking about running. So if she finished 38th, she must've run like a two low two forties. Yeah. She had two, 242. So she was on track for a 236 until the last couple miles and she started cramping. Seems like yeah. so many people had nutrition issues yesterday for some reason. I, I feel like I've talked to so many people who are like, oh, my stomach, it just didn't work out. So hard. It's so hard to get it all together. Yeah. My friend Megan Murray, Murray she was 248 and I think she was like 50, 48th or 58th female. So that's how I kind of... Okay. Yeah. That's impressive. I worked back there. (laughs) You're a math magician. (laughs) So how did you come up with the idea for the podcast? So when you were listening to like the ones that existed, what was missing? And then what gave you kind of the push to do it? I really... So there was this faith-based podcast that I liked called The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. And they obviously talked about God and religion and things like that a lot. But I really liked her style, like the casual nature of the conversation. And I really liked that I felt like I was like just hanging out with these people. So I kind of wanted to model the style of my show on that. And so it's interesting because in the earlier days, I think I was probably a little more chatty, like more back and forth chatty. Whereas now, depending on who the guest is, I kind of am more question focused. It's sometimes that can be a hard balance it just depends on who your guest is and what the topic is, right? Like sometimes I feel like it's my place to just ask the questions and not have too much commentary. But sometimes I, if I feel like I have something relatable to say, I want to chime in. I just never want to like over talk my guest. 
But yeah, I just, I wanted it to feel super casual, like we were friends. And so I do try to loosen my guests up and like ask them like mundane kind of like everyday questions sometimes early on so that they feel like, okay, this isn't like some big presser interview, you know? Right. Yeah. No, it is a delicate balance. I, I wonder about that often. Like if people are tuning in and I share little tidbits about myself, are they like, gosh, I don't want to hear about Whitney. I want to hear about Lindsay. (laughs) I know, but part of me is like, well, if you felt like that for five years, you know, like you could leave then, I guess. Like, I guess, you know (laughs) what I mean? Like, this is like, you've kind of figured out your system and it's not ever going to work for everybody. So I'm sure that I do drive some people crazy, but like if you obsess over it, that's just an icky feeling. Yeah, no, totally. I think you just gotta like take constructive feedback, but then like nurture like what you want to do. Right. And I like the conversation. Like for instance, I was listening to your interview with Steve Magnus, which was awesome. And like, I loved how like you guys really got, you had a good chemistry. Like you got along really well and you shared, I forget what the context was, but you talked about how you and your husband or your husband was training for Chicago and he went for a run and it was like one of the last times you could have gone for like a hike and spent quality time with his mom because she ended up passing away and you were about to go get a double mastectomy like a week after Chicago, but he still trained for it. He still did it. And it's like in in retrospect, obviously like plans should have changed, but when you're in it and you're in the middle of a marathon training cycle, like you make those decisions. I mean, so many times I've gone on vacations and like spent half the the day running and then recovering. And it's like, looking back on it, was it really worth it? But it's so hard to, to know, you know, what's worth your time, what's not like, how do you balance staying committed, but also living your life at the same time, you know? Totally. That really just you sharing that tidbit just really made me think about a lot of decisions that I've made and decisions that I'm going <laughs> to be making, honestly, because like, you know, people often don't understand like, oh my gosh, Whitney, you're just going on, you're going on a weekend trip with your girlfriends that you haven't seen in like a couple years and you're going to go run 20 miles in the morning and miss that time with them. And you're only going to get to see them for 48 hours. But it's also like, well, it's my peak week and I have to, you know? Yeah. I remember doing that, going to my girlfriends in Louisville. Three of us drove down from Indy and we went, stayed at our girlfriends in Louisville and we went out. This was like, I had one kid. I had one kid. Um, we went out like till like two in the morning the night before. And my ass. Good for you. Well, <laughs> this was like 10 years. Oh, this was eight years ago because Marshall is almost 10. But my ass still got up and ran 20 miles with 15 miles at marathon pace. Oh my goodness. Wow. What a workout. <laughs> I mean, what? And I, but that, here's my commitment thing. I had put that runoff, I remember, for like three days. Like I could have run it before we went. And I also was like, well, I might not do it in the morning. But if everybody's still sleeping and I wake up, I'm just going to go get it done. I would never do that now, nor could I handle that. Like I could not stay out till two in the morning and drink and get up and do that. I mean, 30 is a lot different than 38. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it is. And plus obviously three more kids later, but yeah, those are the kinds of things that I would never consider doing now. Like if I, if I was going to meet my girlfriends for that weekend, I would arrange to do my long run early or do it later, but that's just me. So yeah. And I don't think other people understand, but here's the other thing. 
if my girlfriends were just going to be sleeping for the next two hours and then just like get up and like waller around, like I was going to be much happier if I went on and did my thing, you know? That is true. Like I call it run anxiety. Yeah. Like you, then you're just like, you're stressing that you didn't get it done. And when are you going to get it done? And you're not able to be fully invested in the moment because you were thinking about the run that you didn't do. And they were all just probably sitting there like, I'm tired, a little bit hungover. And you're thinking, <laughs> you know, so no, I totally. And that's the other thing about vacations. I want to exercise like most days when I'm on vacation. Like I, I don't want it to be like a big, like 15 mile run, but like I want a good, at least 30 minutes, likely closer to 60 of running or something every day because the rest of my day is so much more fun. Right. Yes, totally. Yes. But sometimes you feel guilty because you're like, do I need to prioritize this this morning when like we could just be having breakfast and hanging out? Oh my gosh, yes. And then it's like you're trying to balance it with your husband, you know, and if he's going to go run and who takes the early shift, who takes the afternoon shift. And like, I'm always one to sneak in, oh, what's a couple more miles? And then, you know, you come back and your husband's like, how far did you go? (laughs) Like, why were you gone so long? This is what I'm (laughs) known for saying, I'm probably just going to do five miles because that's all I feel like doing at the moment. And then it's like, I usually snag a couple more on at the end, tag a couple more on at the end. And it's like, oh, famous last words. I'm just going to do five miles. I know. Seriously. That happens to me so much. Actually, right now, my I've turned over the keys of coaching to my husband because- Oh, I saw that. That's exciting. <laughs> it's just like temporary, but it's because like I am my own worst enemy and like any- like. I got COVID almost a month ago. Like the morning that I woke up and didn't feel good, I still ran 16 miles and like came back and was like, wow, I just really don't feel good. And then tested positive. Like I just make poor decisions because I'm like, <laughs> oh, what, what, what's another mile here or there? And so for my recovery, I'm like, after all the, you know, 15 years of being with you, I'm finally going to listen to you and have it like have my fate be in your hands. <laughs> like, it's so. smart. It's really hard. But I mean, I know that he has, he knows me probably better than I know myself. And he has my best interests at heart. And he still wants me to achieve my goals. So I'm just, I'm going to try to listen to him. It's hard. It's still hard. What's his running background? Is he a marathoner too? He is. He's a more of an ultra runner. Okay. But he is very different than me. He's very lackadaisical about his training. Like he, I am very by the book. I have a training plan and it's very hard for me to deviate from the schedule where he's, he just kind of does how he feels. If like, you know, the kids don't want him to go for a run. He's like, okay, it's fine. I'll hang out and be a dad, you know, <laughs> whereas I'm like, I'm going no matter what. I have seven miles today. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Man, I, I hear that though. And I'm like, man, I could run really fast. I bet if I like committed to your type of uh, commitment. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, kind of athlete are you? Oh, definitely more lackadaisical. Like I don't, that's why I don't, I'm not training for a marathon. Even when I train for marathons, I don't follow plans. I Really? Okay. Yeah. I like give myself a framework. Like I'll count back weeks and be like, okay, I need to get in probably like for a marathon. I personally will probably do two 20 milers. So I'll be like, I need to map out when those are likely going to take place. And then just know like in between I'll do like a 16 and an 18 here. I'll probably need a rest week around here. Like I just kind of like, and then if things happen, I'm like, well, I'm not going to do it this weekend. I'll do it next weekend. I'm all over the place. I would be 
a very challenging person to coach, I think. So you don't have a coach? Oh, no, never have. Never, never Really? Will. Okay. Yeah. But, and, but you coach. Yeah, I coach. And it's funny too, because the woman I was just telling you about, Kara, hi, Kara, if you're listening, <laughs> she very much, you know, like people like, she's like you, like she wants her plan. She wants to know what's going on. And like, she had a little tummy bug the other day and she was like, can I still run? And I'm like, no, 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 no. You may not run, you know? And I do think that's easier for us to tell other people to not run when they don't feel good. So, so true. I've learned very much that I am a hypocrite, a huge hypocrite. Yeah. I think most runners are. Really? You think so? Well, like, what? yeah, like if you tell people one thing, but you then you want to like go ahead and get your run into, I feel like that's common. Okay. Well, that makes me feel better. A type A person that wants to follow a plan at least. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. The, what I tell my athletes, I always try to turn it around to myself. I'm like, if if I had an athlete who was recovering from COVID, would I tell them to go run when they're still having symptoms? No. Like no. I had my best friend pointed out to me. She was like, Whitney, it's because you think the rules don't apply to you. I was like, okay. <laughs> it's not a good way to be. I'm going to have to change that. It's good to have friends like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk about why is everyone... No, before I ask that, how did you come up with I'll Have Another? I feel like it's kind of... Was it sort oh, of... the title? Yeah. Was it kind of rooted in like the happy hour? Like they both kind of have to do with drinking? <laughs> well... Actually, my sister, which is funny because the happy hour is like a Christian podcast. Right. <laughs> I loved that name of that though. I'm like, oh, how fun. Like it, spend your happy hour with me. My sister actually came up with the title. My sisters and I just had like this like long string of texts going, like thinking of titles. And for me, it was like, I'll have another mile. I'll have another marathon. And I was pregnant. So it was like, I'll have another baby. So it's like, Whatever you want another of, like another glass of wine, like what, you know, another <laughs> another Netflix binge, like just like indulge in that, like have fun with that. So to me, that's kind of what it meant to me. I'll have another, I'll have another podcast, like let's do another episode. <laughs> I love it. Which is funny, actually. My sister actually came up with the name of my podcast for parents as well, which is called Why Is Everyone Yelling? So she's the podcast naming pro. That's awesome. That's, she... I don't know. She deserves some sort of royalty. She's kind of witty and if it works. Yeah. Yeah. No. When you launched your podcast, I was like, just based off the title, I was like, I have to listen to this because <laughs> it like perfectly encapsulated my stage in life. So, and it's awesome. And I love it. And I've learned so much and you have you. other podcasts within your Sandy Boy Productions. Um, how many podcasts do you, are you responsible for? There are four podcasts in the network right now. It's it's I'll have another. Why is everyone yelling? The Illuminate podcast, which is just a little passion project that myself and some friends we interview people who are doing like positive work in the world. A lot of nonprofit founders and and things like that. The most recent interview that went out on Why is Everyone Yelling as well as Illuminate is with the founder of Boxes of Love, who she sends home children who are going home from the hospital and the foster care system. She sends them home with a big box of all the essentials they might need because a lot of times these kids are going to these homes with like none of their own belongings. So it's like new clothes and, and things like that. So anyway, that's just like one example of the kind of guests we have on the Illuminate podcast. And then oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Urban Pharmacy is hosted by Stacey Heine and she's like a holistic 
vegan nutrition person. And so she talks a lot about that kind of stuff as well as some business entrepreneurship over there. That Well, I haven't checked that one out. I'm going to have to add it to my list. Well, she will try to convince you to eat uh, all fruits and vegetables all day long. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because I've learned a lot from her, but also like I, my, we go to McDonald's and like, you know, we're, I like, I buy organic apples and things like that, but I'm a very much like laissez-faire, you know, I try to be as natural and organic as possible on the things that I feel like matter, but we're also like going to fast food when it makes sense and things like that. I am very much like you in that regard, (laughs) for sure. A lot of it is just, it has to, I hate to say it, just based on convenience. Yeah. And like, um, I'll go through kicks where I'm like, I only buy seventh generation cleaning supplies and then I'll have like full of method, whatever heck chemicals are in that. So I'm, I'm all over the place with it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I kind of thought that method and seventh generation were in the same vein. Maybe not. Maybe they are. I I don't don't know. know. I don't know. I just know seventh generation is way more expensive. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know. We could be a victim of just really good marketing. I've never looked. I've never read the label. Also like millions of dollars on like beauty counter makeup, but then I'll go to like CVS and buy blush. You know what I mean? Like just like total hodgepodge. I totally that way. Yeah, totally. All right. So you're a mom of four. I'd love to know how your life as a runner has changed since you became a mom and then just like kind of the meaning behind running, like what you gain from it. I was just talking to my husband about this on a run the other day. (laughs) Oh, that's great. You guys get to run together. Yes, because he works from home. So, oh, nice. Like we just ran together before this interview. Actually, we, he got the big boys to school. I got the little boys to school. He ran them to school and then he kept running. And when I got back, he like looped around and we did like five miles together. So he did a little before I did a little after, but yeah. And actually like, that's great. Sometimes we even can do like little neighborhood loops that are super short. If like our youngest is still asleep and just kind of like keep an eye on the house a little bit, we're kind of free rangey like that (laughs) with our kids. But anyway, yeah. So yeah, we were just talking about like the crazy workouts we used to do and how often, how much we used to run and like looking back, it's like, oh my gosh, it's just, it seems insane to me what we used to do, but it was a little bit simpler back then. And I think with each baby, I just changed a little bit more with what my priorities were. You know, like after my first baby, I was very much like, I am getting back to marathoning right away. I'm going to run a PR, like all the things. And I did all those things. Then I did a half Ironman and I was just like, looking back, I'm like, holy, I did like three marathons and a half Ironman in my first year postpartum. Like what? You know, <laughs> so just that's a lot. But also I do think it just felt like a different time. Like it just felt like I didn't have this business I was running yet. I was, I kind of had my hands in some different things, but like, I don't know, life just was different. And so then after my second, I kind of whipped myself into shape pretty quick again, tore my plantar fascia. Oh, you tore yours too? I didn't know that. Yeah. I tore mine over the summer. Oh, this summer? Yeah. Yeah. It, t- it was a very long recovery. Yeah. It's like three months. You can't like... It was... Oh, it was longer than that. Yeah. My foot was black and blue. And that's the other thing. Like, I would never do this now, 
my plantar fasciitis was so bad, but I just kept running and kept running. I was on the treadmill at the YMCA doing a 12-mile progression run. I was like running like 630 miles and my foot was hurting so bad and I just like so stubborn. And then I felt it happen. And I was like, I almost fell down because it hurt so bad. And then I was like, I think I can finish this mile. (laughs) And then I couldn't even walk out of the YMCA with my two kids. Like I needed help. I mean, it was like insane. It was just totally insane. So those are kinds of things that I would never do now that I did then. (laughs) And, uh, so yeah, I, and then after the third, I did, I was able to get into shape and run a, run a marathon PR, which felt very, it felt really important. And it was like a very, it felt like a really long, a really long time coming because I had ran my PR after my first baby. And so I didn't get to run one after the second because I had that tear in my foot and ended up getting pregnant again. And so my mother-in-law also passed away like two months before that race. And this podcast was just getting off the ground. So I felt like there was like so much going on in my life. Like I was still pretty much one year postpartum. My son literally had just turned one. And so it just felt like a really big, important year. A lot of emotions that year too with with everything with my mother-in-law. So then after I had my fourth, I've just been hanging out ever since. <laughs> I did run two marathons after, you know, in 2019. So I shouldn't say I've just been hanging out. I just haven't trained to race and like PR a marathon. Yeah, I haven't run one since before COVID. But Yeah. I don't know. I just, the priorities are different. And I think that that's why I have a hard time with that commitment thing, because I do so much prioritize. Like if it's Saturday and we have soccer games all day and things like that, like I really don't want to think about a 16 mile run, which by the way, is why if I do train, it will very much be like a loose cycle. So it will be a like nine to 12 day long run cycle so that I do not put myself in the position. Well, A, I'm not the type of person that should be doing long runs every seven days. I just get injured too easily. But B, if there's a soccer day or something like that, that's really packed with family stuff, that run's happening on the day before or the day after. Like The run is not taking priority over work and family. So I think that there's a way to do that. It's just figuring it out. Yeah, it's it can be tricky when you start moving around hard days and making sure that they're sandwiched between easy days. And yeah, I've been curious about the 10 day cycle as well. It's like, yeah, I mean, I think it's hard for a lot of people because like if you work Monday through Friday, eight to five, like that's really challenging. I will say, though, if you run fast enough, you can get a long run in before work. You you can do it. Like if you get started at like four, it can, I've done it before. You can. And I guess it'll keep you honest with your easy pace because then, you know, you're like, I can't be laying on the couch all day. I have to be like energized by this run instead of completely dragging. So that'll make sure you don't run too fast. And I mean, some people can't like if you have to go to work at six or something, you can't. But like if you go to work at eight or nine, you can make it happen every once in a while. Yeah, every once in a while. Maybe not all the time. Well, I also find it's just so tricky to balance getting enough sleep. Because like if you start waking up really early to get your runs in, but you're not like getting out of your kid's room until after 10, then, you know, 
then that's just a recipe for injury and disaster. That now that is the truth for sure. Yeah, it's true. Well, I hope you, you know, well, I mean, if running is bringing you joy, you know, doing it just kind of ad hoc how you feel, then I think, you know, stick with it until that fire comes back and you decide to pick a goal, do another marathon. I think I'm going to do a marathon this fall. I just don't know if I'm going to like race, train to race it. I mean, I'll like be trained up, like I'll do my long runs and stuff, but like, I don't know that if I'm going to do like intense speed work. We'll see. Maybe it'll just like maybe break the seal. That's what has to happen. Kind of dip your toe in. That's what has to happen. It sort of happened in New York City in 2019. I ran okay, but it wasn't a full out training. You know, it was like, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. I almost my, so my last marathon before I got into like this whole cycle of setbacks was in D 2019. I almost came to meet you. Oh, you should have. I, uh, I wanted to, we went and saw Dina Castor and met her and I think we ran out of time or it, w- it was too much walking, but it just, it didn't, the scheduling didn't work out. Oh, cause I did the meetup at the little bar. Yeah. Yeah. You should have came to the live show, the Dina Castor live show. I don't know why I didn't do that. I'm wondering if we... Maybe you were leaving town because it was after the race. I think I was probably dead to the world. <laughs> and that's probably why. Did you do sub go sub three there? I did. Yeah. But I... Yeah. I had trained for that race of the torn hamstring and decided to just go for it anyways. But yeah, I ran a 256, but I was upset. Now, like looking back on it, I totally like am embarrassed by how disappointed I was, but you know, it's just because you wanted to go faster. I wanted to qualify for the trials, but, and it was like, I shouldn't have been running, but I was like, this is my one shot. So I'm going to go for it. But it was just, right. It's just hard. It's like when you're running and you, you know, you trained so hard. I was running hundred mile weeks and my family had to make so many sacrifices. And that's what I focused on. And now like in retrospect, I'm like, that is totally the wrong way to look at it. But my heart was very broken on that day. That wasn't your first sub three then. No, it was. Yeah. No, I. Oh, it was. Yeah. Jeez. But I knew I could have gone faster. You know, like I, it just, that was like my first after I had run a marathon after having my son and it went really well that spring 2019. My coach was like, let's go for it. Like, I think you can do it. And so I really like went all in for that six month build and tore my hamstring halfway through and just kept training. And anyways, So the sub three wasn't even really the goal. Like that was like the, we're definitely doing sub three. We're going for the OTQ. Yeah. Yeah, That would be really hard. Yeah. So, and it's so, and it's obviously like, it feels silly to be like upset about the sub three. It's a great time, but you know, when you're. Yeah. But if you knew you were more fit, I get it. Well, thank you for understanding. Yeah. You know, you battle like those emotions because, you know, it's like you should be thankful and for what you got to do and what you did do, but then you're also feel like a little bit cheated. That would have been a great course though for that. Just so many people were trying to go sub three and OTQ because it was like one of the last ones to OTQ and it's like so such a flat course. Well, I am understanding, but next time you're in the same town as me and I'm having a live event and you don't come, I'm not going to be understanding. (laughs) Oh, I'm definitely going to be there. (laughs) Guaranteed. Guaranteed. I think like if I can get my act together, I think I'd like to do CIM. That would be fun. I mean, obviously so many people fly on that course. So yeah, that's ideal for going for the OTQ for sure. Have you been to CIM? No, but the athlete I keep mentioning, Kara, who just ran so well in Boston, she's doing CIM this year. And I'm like, should I do CIM? 
<laughs> but I also want to do New York and I don't oh, know. Oh, both two great choices. Yeah, maybe I'll do both. I feel like the seed has been planted. Yes. <laughs> I'm coaching the um, Every Mother Counts like um, charity team for New York and Chicago. So oh, cool. Yeah. If I do it for New York or Chicago, I would raise money for Every Mother Counts and use one of their charity spots. So that's the only reason I could like just laissez-faire be like, I might run New York. Yeah. <laughs> I just declare That's exactly how you sound, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that would, and that would be a cool experience raising money for them. But I think I would love to also just go run CIM just to be a part of that. I mean, it's just seems like a really fun weekend. It does. I know. Yeah. I always get like so jazzed after I see all the coverage. Well, great. Well, then maybe we'll like just kind of pencil in. We'll meet each other there, see each other in real life. You'll be way more high stakes for you because you'll be trying to OTQ and I'll just be like hobby jogging. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) especially when they change the standard, I'm like, well, a miracle will have to happen for that to happen. But such a bummer for, yeah, when you're like on the cusp so hard. It's very interesting to see how, you know, it's already seems to be like positively impacting people's time. So people are rising up. They are rising up. They sure are. Well, Lindsay, it's been so fun to chat with you. I like, I'm just so happy that I finally got to talk to you after just looking up to you for so long. So thanks for making the time. Thanks for having me. This is always really fun to be on the other side of the microphone. Yes. I love getting to learn more about you, why you started the podcast since, you know, usually we're just listening to other people's stories on your pod. So now we get to learn about you. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lindsay. And thank you all for listening to The Passionate Runner. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any other resources mentioned are available at runnerclick.com slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from the episodes, please leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash the passionate runner. We'll be sure to read them out on future episodes. See you next time. 